Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And today's episode gives you a sneak peek into the Freedom from Cravings Formula program because this podcast episode is actually one of the lessons inside of the program about hunger, sugar, calories and hormones. And I'll be explaining in this episode how all of these four elements are connected and what you can do to stop feeling out of control with hunger and cravings. But first, I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking for some free resources about how to get rid of cravings, then I have plenty for you. Come check out the Life After Sugar Facebook page and subscribe to the Life After Sugar YouTube channel as well as my Instagram account at mylifeaftersugar which is where you'll get all kinds of inspiration so that you can see that it's perfectly possible to live a happy and active life even if you don't eat sugar. You can also check out my TikTok account at netta underscore life after sugar. All right, let's get going with this episode about hunger, sugar, calories and hormones. So very often we think we feel hungry, but have you ever asked yourself, are you really hungry? For example, there's such a thing that exists as the hunger scale and it goes from one to ten, one being when you're starving, ravenous and lightheaded, number two being very hungry and irritable, to three, pretty hungry when your stomach's growling, to four, beginning to feel hungry, to five, neutral, not overly hungry or full, six, feeling satisfied, seven, feeling full or slightly uncomfortable, eight, feeling full and stuffed, nine, feeling bloated with stomach ache, and ten, feeling sickly full and sleepy. Have you ever had any of these before? But is it really hunger? And you may have come across this term hangry. It's a new word in the dictionary. And hangry is a state of anger caused by lack of food, right? Anger and hunger makes you hangry. And so it's hunger causing a negative change in your emotional state. But the question remains, is it really hunger? Or is it maybe a type of feeling or emotion that is making you reach for food to be able to handle that emotion. Maybe you're angry, maybe you're happy, maybe you feel sad or tired or even thirsty. And the first thing you think about out of habit is to reach for some food or you interpret whatever sensation you're having in your body as, well, I must be hungry. 
And because I'm a language teacher, I like to look at words. And I just want to go over this difference between actual hunger versus appetite. So if you are experiencing real hunger, which we'll look at in a minute, real hunger is actually the natural physical drive to eat. You need hunger to be able to eat, to be able to survive. It's prompted by the body's need for food. And when you're really hungry, you may feel tired or lightheaded or weak. Whereas appetite is the psychological desire for food. For example, the smell of fresh cookies, let's say, <laughs> or fresh bread in my case, tempts you even if you're full. In other words, you're not physically hungry, but you feel like eating something. And seeing that we have easy access to food pretty much 24-7 in our Western society, it's very likely that you've never actually experienced real hunger in your life. And probably the sensation that you have in your body when you think you're hungry is really just falling glucose. So I'm not denying that you're experiencing some kind of sensation, but is it a complete lack of food that leads to physiological hunger, or is it because you've eaten something a couple of hours ago that made your blood sugar spike, and then your blood sugar, your glucose, falls a couple of hours later, and this falling blood glucose level triggers what we believe to be hunger. So if you find yourself saying at some point in the day, I'm starving, ask yourself whether it's actually starvation or whether it might be something that you ate a couple of hours before that spiked your blood sugar level and then made it crash. And just as an interesting side note, if you are interested in starvation, did you know that there was actually a starvation study called the Minnesota Starvation Experiment, which was a clinical study performed at the University of Minnesota between November 19th, 1944 and December 20th, 1945, so right after the Second World War, and the investigation was designed to determine the physiological and psychological effects of severe and prolonged dietary restriction and the effectiveness of dietary rehabilitation strategies. And this starvation experiment was actually led by physiologist Ansel Keys, who was the lead investigator of the Minnesota starvation experiment. And we'll talk about Ansel Keys a little bit more during the six-week program. But what he studied was actual starvation and not necessarily what we mean when we say, I'm starving. So let's look at some basic human biology when we talk about hunger. Now, I don't have a background in the sciences, but I do think it's important for us to know a little bit about human biology to understand what's really going on when we talk about hunger and sugar. So when we eat, that sets off a whole series of reactions, not just in the body, but also in the brain. The hypothalamus is the part of the brain that is involved with hunger and feeling full, and the hormone leptin, which is produced by the fat cells in your body, is involved in that feeling of fullness. So basically, that sensation that we call hunger is controlled by the hypothalamus part of the brain, and then we eat food, and depending on what 
type of food we eat, as well as how much, we get the feeling of satiety, which is just a fancy word for feeling full. So we're going to be looking at three hormones, insulin, ghrelin, and leptin. You may have heard of insulin before, but have you ever heard of ghrelin and leptin? So leptin is made in the adipose tissue or the fat cells of your body. Insulin is produced by the pancreas and ghrelin is produced by the stomach. And these three hormones are involved in the energy balance of our food intake. Now, I don't want to get too technical here or to confuse you with too much information, but just know that if you're either fasting or not eating a lot of carbohydrates that turn into glucose very quickly, then you won't be in starvation mode and your body is perfectly capable of producing glucose even when you're actually not eating, when you're fasting, or when you're not eating carbs. And the way that the body does that is to create glucose from either the proteins or the fats that you eat, or if you're fasting, if you're not actually eating anything, then the body will take the stored fat that we all have, and basically the liver will create the glucose that the rest of the body needs, including the brain, from that stored fat that we have on our bodies. So we will never be in starvation mode or in any danger at all, even if we don't eat any carbs or even if we fast for a while. And if you're interested, gluconeogenesis is the process by which pyruvic acid or pyruvate is converted into glucose. So eating less or no sugar does not cause hypoglycemia or low blood sugar and it does not cause your brain to shut down. In fact, hypoglycemia or low blood sugar is far more likely to happen when your blood sugar is having these ups and downs and peaks and crashes all through the day because you're eating a lot of carbohydrates that affect your blood sugar so much. In fact, low blood sugar can happen if your pancreas releases more insulin than it should after you've eaten. And the most common reason for low blood sugar is actually diabetes. Another possible cause of low blood sugar is drinking too much alcohol, especially on an empty stomach. Low blood sugar certainly doesn't come from not eating sugar. And by the way, normal blood sugar levels for people who have not been diagnosed with diabetes are usually between 4 and 8 in the Canadian system or 72 and 144 in the American system. So what does this all have to do with hunger? Well, one of the things that I was told when I was younger, and maybe you were too, was that energy in equals to energy out. In other words, the foods that we eat, the energy in, we have to burn off as energy out through exercise, right? How did that work for you? Are you like me? In other words, did you try pretty much everything for the calories in, calories out approach? You know, like those workouts, like trying to eat less and do more exercise to burn off those calories. I did that for years. And not only was I miserable eating less, 
I didn't even keep that weight off. Whereas biologically, it's not about calories in and calories out. It's about what those foods or calories do to your hormones. Which hormones? Insulin, ghrelin, and leptin. The problem with the eat less, move more message is that it implies that weight loss is a 50-50 acquisition, when in reality, it's more like 90% food and only 10% exercise that makes any difference in the energy in your body and especially how that input of energy, the food you eat, affects your hormones. So you might have been like me, you know, trying to find all these little mini meals and snacks under 100 calories, say, or tracking points, or buying these pre-made snacks that are approved by some kind of diet, and wondering, why am I not keeping the weight off? I'm not eating many calories, and also thinking, oh, plus I'm starving, right? Plus, we were getting all these messages, and still are, about eat everything in moderation. But where sugar's concerned, most of us can't handle moderation. So I started reading up on this and asking questions. And when I did start reading, I got a bit freaked out at all of the complicated information that I was coming across. So what I'm going to do here is try and simplify it for you so that you don't have to freak out. So what we need to know is that the calories that we see on a food label don't necessarily have the same effect once they're inside your body. Depending on what you eat, those foods will affect your blood sugar differently as well as those hormones, insulin, ghrelin and leptin. So again, it's not just the number of calories it's especially the source of those calories and what those calories in those foods do to those three hormones. So what happens if your body gets too much sugar or too many calories or not enough calories? Well, eating a high sugar food can cause what's called reactive hypoglycemia because the sudden rise in blood glucose from the sugary food triggers an overproduction of insulin, which in turn makes the blood glucose levels fall too low. And that food can have zero calories. And this up and down of glucose levels can trigger a migraine, or a blood sugar crash can also give you energy slumps and cravings and weight gain. So it's not just the calories, it's what those calories do to your insulin. And all those sugary foods that affect your insulin can cause a whole load of health problems, including the ones that are linked to inflammation. I just want to take a quick break to say that if this is your first time here, then welcome and thank you for listening to this podcast. And whether you're new or a regular, and you haven't yet rated or reviewed this podcast, could I ask you to scroll down and tap on the stars to rate this podcast and also to write a short review to let me know how this podcast is helping you in your life after sugar. 
I love reading your reviews. And when you rate and review this podcast, not only does it encourage me to continue making new episodes, but it also helps to share this podcast and have more people see it so that we can help more people feel better and lose weight with less sugar. So again, thank you for rating and reviewing this podcast and for spreading the word about sugar. Now, many very low-calorie diets are commercially made formulas of about 800 calories or fewer that replace all the food you usually eat. And the problem is that regularly eating fewer calories than your basal metabolic rate, which is basically the number of calories you need to cover your basic biological functions like the proper functioning of your brain, your kidneys, your heart, your lungs and the nervous system, if you eat fewer calories than you need for your body to just function, this can cause your metabolism to slow down. So if we don't eat enough calories, and I mean nutritious calories, for our body's needs, then our blood glucose levels can drop too low. And this causes hypoglycemia. And not eating enough nutritious calories and a slowed metabolism can contribute to weight gain, or at least difficulty losing weight, as your body simply slows your calorie conversion and your body ends up storing more fat to be able to survive. Not eating enough calories, and especially not eating enough nutritious calories, could also make you feel tired and lethargic and have dry or cracked skin, experience hair loss or feel cold, or get sugar cravings and have difficulty concentrating, have brain fog, or even have an unbalanced menstrual cycle. So, ghrelin and leptin work together in the body. Ghrelin is what we call the appetite stimulator. It's released from the stomach, and when it's elevated, it sends a signal to your brain, letting you know that you're hungry and that it's time to eat. Age, gender, blood glucose, and leptin levels can all affect ghrelin levels. And leptin is called the appetite suppressor. Leptin is stored and secreted by the fat cells and it's considered to be the master regulator of hunger. When you eat a meal, leptin is released from fat cells and sends a signal to your brain to let you know you're full and to stop eating. Sounds simple enough? Well, research shows that a large percentage of dieters regain all the weight they lost within just one year. And weight regain is partially due to your body's appetite and weight-regulating hormones, which try to maintain and even regain fat. So ghrelin, the hunger hormone, plays a key role because it signals to your brain to eat and its levels increase during a diet and intensify hunger, making it hard to lose weight. It's like a survival mechanism for your body. If you're not eating enough, and especially not enough nutritious calories, then your body will send a signal to your brain to make you feel hunger. So ghrelin is a hormone produced in the gut, and it's often termed the hunger hormone. It travels through your bloodstream and to your brain, where it tells your brain to become hungry and to seek out food. Ghrelin's main function 
is to increase appetite. It makes you consume more food, take in more calories, and depending on the source of those calories, to store fat. In addition, ghrelin affects your sleep-wake cycle, your reward-seeking behavior, your taste sensation, and carbohydrate metabolism. The hormone ghrelin is produced in your stomach and is secreted when your stomach is close to empty. It enters the bloodstream and affects a part of the brain known as the hypothalamus, which governs your hormones and appetite. So the higher your ghrelin levels, the hungrier you get. And the lower your ghrelin levels, the more full you feel. Remember that hunger scale? Ghrelin is the one responsible for making you feel starving or ravenous or hungry. Now, some research shows that the ghrelin levels in obese people are actually lower than in lean people because they just might be more sensitive to its effects. In fact, regardless of how much body fat you have, ghrelin levels increase and make you hungry when you start a low-calorie diet. And this is a natural response by your body, which tries to protect you from starvation. Leptin, on the other hand, is the stop-appetite hormone that signals your brain to reduce its appetite. It's produced in fat cells and helps mediate weight loss by decreasing your hunger. Contrary to what you might expect, obesity is linked to unusually high concentrations of hunger-blocking leptin. How can that be? Well, researchers believe that these high concentrations of leptin make the receptors for leptin inactive, impairing its ability to eliminate excess fat. In essence, such high amounts of leptin essentially desensitize the body to it, meaning your body doesn't respond to or hear that message that you're full. And this is called leptin resistance. So it's all a fine balance between what you eat, your pancreas producing insulin, your fat cells producing leptin, and your brain receiving that signal in the hypothalamus. So it's slightly more complex than just a question of eating less and moving more or eating fewer calories. Can you see how that makes no biological sense when we actually take the time to learn how the human body works and how leptin and ghrelin work? So it's lovely to have a human biology class, <laughs> but what can you do so that you're not bothered with feeling hungry all day long or having energy crashes or trying to count or cut calories? And what can you eat to help you feel full all day? Well, funnily enough, the first thing is to sleep more. Studies have shown a strong correlation between short sleep duration with high levels of hunger-inducing ghrelin and low levels of satisfaction-inducing leptin and, as a result, obesity. And studies have shown the connection between ghrelin, the hunger hormone, that can be affected by lack of sleep. In other words, if you don't sleep enough, ghrelin will send a message to your brain to tell you you're hungry. And then you want to snack. And then that cycle continues. 
And of course, another thing to do is to lay off the sugar. So refined sugar and especially refined fructose prevents leptin and insulin from elevating back to normal levels after you eat, while simultaneously increasing ghrelin and triglycerides, which is your blood lipids. And this is according to research from the American Society for Clinical Nutrition. And these refined sugars also include foods made with refined starch or flour, such as bread, pasta, crackers, muffins, etc. So bring all of these foods down and you'll help your ghrelin and leptin levels to balance out. Now let's talk about snacking. Here's the thing. Very often when we talk about snacking, we're actually referring to refined carbs and processed foods. Snack foods. The thing is that these snack foods contribute to high blood spikes and insulin levels, but snacking has made it so that those levels continue, so the body just doesn't get a break. It's funny because in the 1950s, for various reasons, snacking was promoted in the US as a healthier way to eat, right? We were told, eat more often to keep your blood sugar level. Well, I suppose it does keep it level at a high amount, whereas what's really good for you is to bring down those sugar levels and keep them level at a low amount. So all those low-calorie snacks that we were eating in the 70s and 80s and 90s are actually the worst things for your blood sugar and your hunger levels. And I get that it can be really confusing because over the last 60 years, we've heard it all. You must eat a big breakfast. You have to eat five to six times a day. You should have multiple snacks spaced out in the day, all that stuff. Unfortunately, there's actually no real strong evidence to show any of that advice to be true, and certainly no biological evidence. And actually in 2010, Yale University published a big study quantifying just how many more calories kids are getting with these sugary and processed snacks over a period that saw childhood obesity triple. So maybe those snacks aren't such a good idea after all. So how about, instead of snacking, increasing the amount of healthy proteins and fats you have at mealtimes? Because these healthy proteins and fats play a huge role in creating a feeling of satiety, thanks leptin, that lasts until your next meal. And contrary to common thoughts on skipping meals, your body does not go into starvation mode when you eat less often. It may feel that way because your body is so used to constant access to glucose, which is the easiest way to get energy, but actually, that's not what is going on. If you're constantly eating every two or three hours, especially with these refined sugary or starchy snacks, then those types of carbohydrates are spiking your blood insulin, your blood sugar. Whereas, as you can see here, if you're eating good proteins and fats, then your blood insulin, blood sugar spikes, are way, way lower. And that's what you want. All those blood sugar spikes can cause insulin resistance. And if you've developed insulin resistance over time, then it takes a while to decrease that resistance and get to a place where 
A 12-hour overnight fast with no snacking will help you get and maintain a normal weight. You might find that you can gradually lengthen the time in between meals because if you're eating good, nutritious fats and proteins instead of refined sugars and starches, you'll probably feel less hungry less often. So getting your leptin and ghrelin in balance is the secret and also making sure that you're not stimulating all that insulin by spiking your blood sugar levels with all those sugary and starchy snacks. You may be thinking, well, what about having a healthy dessert after a meal? I feel I need one. Yep, I get it. I lived for 45 years believing that a meal is incomplete without some kind of dessert, even a healthy one like a piece of fruit or some yogurt. Well, this is where Life After Sugar comes in to help you change your old habits for new habits because finishing a meal on a sweet note is really just a question of habit. If you do feel like a sweet treat at the end of a meal, Go down this little checklist first. First of all, realize it's not hunger. You just ate a meal. It can't be real hunger. And then ask yourself these questions. Why do you feel you need a treat? Do you feel that you deserve a treat? And if so, why? No judgment here. Just good to ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself also, why is your meal not enough? What's missing? And also, what do you think would happen if you didn't end the meal with something sweet? How would you feel? What would you do? And asking yourself these questions will get you to think about how you can start changing this habit of a lifetime. How? Well, what about if you spent one week not eating any type of food after your meal? Just putting down your knife and fork and stopping. Maybe have a nice conversation with who you're having a meal with. Or if you're on your own, maybe listen to some music or read a little or go for a walk. Just to break that habit. And note down how you feel while you're in the process of breaking that habit. Because I know what it's like. It's not easy all the time and it's not very comfortable. So if you find it challenging, you're normal. Another way to keep so-called hunger at bay is to stop doing low-cal diets. So when you lose weight via a calorie-restricted diet, you lower your circulating leptin levels and increase ghrelin, thus increasing your appetite. A lot of people end up gaining a lot of weight back after they get off super-limiting diets. So don't restrict calories and go for good, nutritious meals with healthy fats and proteins. Which brings me to number four, which is to eat more whole proteins and healthy fats. So in the absence of sugar and starches, healthy unprocessed fats won't make you gain weight. And as a plus, they will make you feel full for longer and give you energy. So go for healthy fats like nuts, avocado, coconut, olives, good cheeses and whole proteins like unprocessed meats, fish and seafood. 
and integrate them into your meals and not as snacks. And you can also integrate vegan sources of protein. It doesn't have to be animal-based proteins. Next up, reduce stress. Easier said than done? I hear ya. <laughs> Chronic stress causes ghrelin to rise, according to research from UT Southwestern Medical Center. The good news is that this increase in ghrelin helps to diminish behaviors associated with depression and anxiety. But the bad news is that ghrelin causes you to overeat and ultimately gain weight. So it's like a vicious cycle. Your body's natural defense against stress is causing you to eat more, which is causing you to gain more weight, which is causing you to stress more. Well, if you're eating all those good fats and proteins, then chances are your body will be producing leptin to help you feel fuller for longer. And to calm your stress, you can do other activities that don't actually involve putting anything in your mouth. So maybe going for a run or a walk, playing a sport, reading, meditating or praying, listening to music, cooking, even if you're not eating, gardening, dancing, painting or doing some other artistic activity, anything that you really, really enjoy and that will lower your stress levels. Now, I happen to agree with Jim Stevens, who wrote several books about intermittent fasting, like Delay Don't Deny, Feast Without Fear, and Fast Feast Repeat. She says, I'm sick of hearing the idea that there is one true way of eating that works universally. And I agree with her. We're all different, but human biology works pretty much the same for everyone. And once we understand how it does work, then we can decide how we choose to eat so that we feel full and nourished and energetic instead of hungry and exhausted and full of cravings. So hopefully this podcast episode has helped you to demystify this whole concept of hunger and to learn a little bit about the hormones that control hunger, and the feeling of fullness. Sometimes all it takes is a little bit of clarification to give you that aha moment and that understanding that makes all the difference. And sometimes information is just not enough. And what you need is guidance and support from someone who's been there, done that, and who's actually living their craving-free life without feeling hungry all the time. Hmm, do you know anyone like that? <laughs> yes, it's me, Netta. And this is what I do in the Freedom from Cravings Formula program. I guide you step by step so that you can put theory into practice. If you feel frustrated, uncomfortable, stuck, hopeless, and you're trying so hard, but you just can't figure out what it is that works for your body at this time of your life, and you worry that if things carry on this way, and your cravings keep on derailing you, and making you think that hunger is your problem, then maybe it's time to do something different. Maybe you're at the stage in your life where you finally have time to think of yourself 
and to get rid of cravings and that annoying sensation of hunger, as well as get more energy, slim down, and finally feel in control around food, then I'm inviting you to book a clarity call with me to chat one-on-one with me about whether the Freedom From Cravings Formula program is a good fit for you. Go to aftersugarclub.com and click on the big green button to schedule a clarity call with me. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.